It's Tuesday, August the 1st, 2023. Let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We begin this week with our scripture, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. And then you'll hear a piece entitled, a piece by me entitled, Confessions of a Depressed Teenager. Then Pastor Emily and I will talk scripture and a field trip report from our trip to the DFW. But first, a reading from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As the title would imply, I was a teenager with depression. I'm an adult with depression as well, but for me at least the combination of a brain wired for depression and teenage hormones formed a particularly potent combination. Also, as I've said many times before, despite growing up in the church, I missed a good chunk of the Christian boat entirely. This definitely included any sense of scripture being powerful or being able to speak into my life. I, I knew the Sunday school stories. I sat through vacation Bible schools, confirmation, youth group, mission trips, and retreats. I owned several Bibles. I even started traveling with a Bible in hopes that something would click into place and maybe help with the tremendous weight that seemed lodged in the pit of my soul. As with much of the rest of the normal religious experience, other people grasped something, and I felt left grasping for anything. Romans 8 changed some of that for me. I don't remember who or what introduced me to it, but I do remember when. I landed at a particularly low point in my late teens. My romantic choices turned out poorly. I dated a nightmare human or two. A person who called himself my friend actually spent much of the time trying to get back at me for, in his view, my theft of his girlfriend. An editor's note, 
with the hindsight of a couple of decades. This is not how human women functioned then or at any time in human history. None of these things aided in me dealing with the normal struggles of school, trying to get into college, the typical ups and downs of teenage friendship, or actual depression. I felt fairly unlovable. Certainly, I, I didn't love myself, and enough people in my life at the time didn't seem to love me either, which only made the premise of my unlovability that much more believable. This is the point where Romans 8 entered my life. As a church mouse who perpetually missed it, I hadn't considered God's love for me at all. And yet, here, Paul drives home its unstoppable nature. This chunk of Romans 8 punches with quite a bit of rhetorical heft. It culminates in the two-verse-long sentence that shows off Paul's ability to make the nature of God palpable, as it says in Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The biblical scholar Anne Jervis, in writing her annotation for this passage in the fifth edition of the Oxford Annotated Bible, points out, quote, The preceding list refers to things that are not God, and includes those not listed, anything else, end quote. All of the things that are not God do not have the capacity to stop God from loving you. Nature can't. Other people can't. Your past can't. Your present can't you can't. Paul writes an all-encompassing list, and God, and God's urge to love, surpass it all. Romans 8 as a whole represents the climax of the letter, salvation, the ongoing support of the Holy Spirit, and God's fundamental love for humanity can overcome any barriers to our relationship with God that we or the world can put up. The chapter presents much of the faith in outline. Romans 8, 1 through 17, shows the redemptive power of placing one's life in Christ. Romans 8, 18 through 25, reminds us that our current suffering can be endured because of the glory of what lies on the other side. Romans 8, 26 through 39, gives lyrical expression to God's presence with us now, God's shaping us into something new, and the unbeatable power of God's love and support for us. Romans 8 recognizes our need for redemption without leaving us unredeemed, and reminds us of suffering without abandoning us to it. In a single chapter of scripture, Paul lines out a compelling witness and the positive case for having God in your life. God loves you, has always loved you, and won't let anything stand in the way of that love if you want it. This is not one of those testimonies where I read this one passage of scripture and all my problems went away, but it certainly helped. I read this part of Romans for the first time as a late teen and understood what it meant for scripture to have power in my life. As a 17-year-old sitting on the pool table in the game room of my parents' house and reading my youth Bible, Paul's expression of God's love spoke directly into my feeling of unlovability. I may not love me, all these people around me may not love me, but God loves me for no other reason than my existence as God's creation. 
It gave me a first rung to hold onto in pulling myself out of the hole. I had God in my corner, even if no one else was. The rest of the journey still took years. But Romans 8 gave me the first real clue that God's love might help and might be there even for me. So as you heard in the piece I just read, and if you watch the sermon, which is also on our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash servants now, this is an important scripture for me um, and, and has been for, shockingly, 20 years of my life. But I also think it is one of those just not all scripture is of equal whatever, right? And this is one that just gets at a fundamental truth about God, is that God's love, um, I framed the sermon around physics, right? That like God's love essentially is the the fifth fundamental force, right? I saw Oppenheimer and so physics is on my brain. (laughs) I saw Oppenheimer in a 70 millimeter IMAX. And so it's like, yeah, anyways, Um, I saw Oppenheimer in the most extreme way possible. Um, But like, it's essentially adds a, a fifth fundamental force that is God's love. And nothing gets in the way. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Just fundamentally, God loves you. Nothing stops God from loving you. God has done so much to love you first and then the other stuff. Um, I was, we've, it's, a, it's a church we've been doing. Um, for our Bible study, uh, the curriculum called The Epic of Eden um, by uh, Dr. Sandra Richter um, is this really great survey of the Old Testament. But one of the points she makes about the covenant in Genesis, the covenant with Abraham, um, and then the kind of the covenant renewal with Moses, is that it starts with God loving you, and then there are requirements. But it starts, always it starts with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, right? That is, I am the Lord your God. Before I committed anything, I loved you and defeated a demigod, right? Defeated Pharaoh. Um, Or, you know, I, the Lord your God, who has given you this promised land, here is what I ask of you, right? And so even in the Old Testament, which we don't, which she points out, we don't always think about this way, but probably should, um, even in the Old Testament, our relationship with God does not begin with, here are the list of things that I would like you to do. It begins with, I love you, right? I, the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, right? I, the Lord your God, whose son died on a cross um, before, before we were, even, you know, you and I even existed, right? Like, and here it sets up this, like, look, God just loves you. That is just a fundamental fact of the universe. Remains regardless up- of us, right? Regardless, regardless of, of us. what we've done, regardless of what we do, um, and before our our knowledge of it, that that prevenient grace, that prevenient love. Um, I like that you quoted Frederick Buechner in yeah. your sermon this week too. But there was another quote. He talks a lot about this inescapable love yeah, yeah. of God that God has for us and. You know, one of his quotes, he says, in the long run, uh, whether you call on him or don't call on him, God will be present with you. That there is nowhere that you can go that God is not. That there is nowhere that you can be, that there is not a space that you can exist in 
in time or place that God is not already, that God does not love you already. And that's overwhelming love. I love that. Um, it's bigger than our brains can conceive right. yeah. of. I it's mean that, bigger than our human self can even imagine. Well, that's why it takes God to do it, right? Um, yeah. And and it, thinking about I, 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 Paul, look, Paul's a great writer. It turns out, um, Paul's a great writer, and this is to me some of some of Paul's best. But you have you know the the list, right? Heights, depths, <laughs> angels. Life, death, principal power. I guess in the NRSV, it's p- powers. Other places, it gets phrases principalities, right? Like, principalities, right? Yes. Like, and then, and, and then the coverall and anything else can step anything, anything else at else. all that we can conceive of. Anything that might try to get in the way of any of the what ifs. Have you have you ever read Shel Silverstein's Light in the Attic? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That old, so there's one of his poems that, that reminds me of this passage, this kind of thesis statement of Romans that's, you know, neither this nor that nor this nor that. Um, but it's the poem called What Ifs. Yeah. And so it kind of goes through all of the, you know, I had the what ifs crawl into my brain. What if, you know, I am not good at school? What if I'm struck by lightning? What if um, I say or do the wrong thing? What if my teeth don't grow in straight? Or what yeah, if, yeah. you know, whatever worry that we might have, whatever concern that we might have um, about, you know, what if there's something that I could do that would be too far that God would not love me? What if there's something that I say that it's the wrong thing that God would not love me? And, and Paul answers it here. He says, there is nothing. There is literally, and there is nothing else that could get in between God's love for you and you. It is, again, like, this is where the, this, like, frame as, you know, Paul doesn't know he's doing physics, but what he's said is there's this <laughs> other fundamental force to the universe, right? And it is, and, 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 like, this is where, like, if you want, like, the physics under, the, the physics understanding of miracles, how does, how do, how do miracles fit, fit in within a scientific model? This is not necessarily something I care about, because God can just break the rule. God made the rules, but God can just break the rules. But if you want to think about it in that way, right, you just enter in the posit there's a fifth force. And there's a fifth force that is more powerful than these other forces, and it can win, right, is the love of God, right? Like, in a combination, you know, contest between gravity and God, God wins. In the same way that in a contest between Pharaoh and God, we call this the book of Exodus, uh, but it is just a contest between Pharaoh and God. It's, I'll say this a lot. It's why the, the Mariah Carey song in um, uh, Prince of Egypt is both beautiful and heretical. Um, and so the, the Mariah Carey, I'm not going to sing it necessarily, but there can be miracles when you believe. Who knows what miracles we can achieve? Nope. Not what Exodus is about. Has Exod- nothing to do with us achieving <laughs> anything. Moses does nothing in Exodus other than be a spokesperson for God. Exodus is a battle between God, an actual God, and Pharaoh, a man who declared himself God. And God wins. Right. That is that's the thing. Right. Like I, we're actually this. I just finished writing our new series. And so I won't get too into depth of this because we're going to read this story in the next few weeks. The 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 parting of the Red Sea. But like this is this is a battle. Bet- this is a battle of one upsmanship between a wannabe God, a wannabe God and God, um, because a wannabe God charges at you with a superpower army and then actual God hits you with the ocean. <laughs> Right. Oh, Sarah. And wins. Oh, Pharaoh. Oh, Pharaoh. 
I see your cute chariots. They are cute. <laughs> you think they are powerful. Oh, they are adorable. I will hit you with the ocean, right? If you're playing rock, paper, scissors, or whatever, chariot, sword, Chariots shield. versus ocean? And then God yeah. says, no, there's ocean, right? Like, there's a fourth <laughs> thing. There's ocean. You are not going to beat ocean. You might beat sword. You know, chariot may beat sword and shield, but chariot does not beat ocean. It's just, and wins, <laughs> right? And this is, like, in some ways, Romans 8 is a statement for Christians, in the similar to what the Exodus really means for, you know, God's people at that moment, right? The story of the Exodus is God's people cries out, you know, oh God, when are you going to show up? Oh God, help us. And then God in the, you know, kind of the first 20 chapters of Exodus until it becomes a law. Eventually Exodus becomes a law, like everything else in the Old Testament, becomes a law book at some point. But like first 20 chapters of Exodus is the story of God's people cry out and God shows up. And before asking anything of them, God does something that no other force in the world and on earth at that time could do, which was push back the Egyptians. To redeem God's people. Right. And that, that story of redemption is repeated throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, throughout our Christian history. God is continuing to redeem creation from the beginning of time until time memorial. God will continue to love God's creation and to, and to redeem us. Well, and that's where the, the we're all jerks and God loves us anyways becomes this like really like. It's <laughs> and there's really, nothing you can do about it. And there's God nothing loves you, about, you right? and there's nothing you there's can nothing do, you about do about it. it. Right. Like, <laughs> because we, this is where like, I, I spent a lot of my life in the micro of scripture, right? Like I have to write an essay and a podcast and a sermon about scripture every week. And I have to do, do it about a scripture. And so like, I can understand getting lost in the micro as much as anybody else. But this is where that like, Take that big picture look at scripture. And yes, scripture says a lot about how we should behave. And more specifically, how we should treat ourselves and how we should treat others. And yes. really particularly, how we treat ourselves in that how it impacts others. Right? Like, you know, it, it, it's not just like, you know, God doesn't just like, you know, require fidelity because God you know, God cannot expand God's consciousness of a relationship. No, God wants to make sure that like people are not being harmed in marital, like that the, like the things that end up in the no column of the law are often like, Hey, don't hurt other people with what you're going to do. Right. In the mm -hmm. way that like, you know, I, I pick on fidelity just because it, the church is a fidelity, like it's still a, for, you know, reasons, it's still a problem. Right. Um, but like, you think about it, this is not like, this is not just like prudish social mores for the sakes of like the joy of prudism or whatever. Right. It is like. This is where we have stories of Gomer, right? right. This is more stories of redemption. Yeah. Despite. But like, despite, but like, so the law comes from like, don't harm other people. Right. Yes either with your actions to yourself or your actions to others, right? Don't impact, like we're supposed to live in community and support one another. Don't do the things that break that community. Look, if you murder your friend, you've broken the community. If you cheat on your spouse, you've broken that community. If you are coveting your 
neighbor's donkey. This is this is the neighbor's donkey, donkey or wife whatever, or right? Whatever. Yeah. Yes. Um, you are those, those impact the broader system, right? And, and yeah, so scripture says a lot about that, but that's not the big picture story. <clears throat> the big picture story starts with God loving us, and then time and time again, when we don't do right, God stays in that relationship with us no matter what, and even finds new and interesting ways not for us to be punished. We do that to ourselves, (laughs) but for ways for us to be redeemed, right? You know, God's people fundamentally abandon God. They've got, you know, whatever. They've got idols all over the place, right? Um, They're selling themselves out to whatever power will help them, even though the greatest power in the universe is right there, right? Um, and so they go into exile, right? And the exile becomes a time where they can like come together as a people and realize their priorities. And when those things click into place, God says, Hey, do you want to go back? You're still my people. Do you want to go back? And they say, heck yeah. Um, and then, you know, Nehemiah rebuilds the city and Ezra has them. But like the, the, you know, this comes up a weird amount with me, but like the end of Ezra and Nehemiah, that is them, like they read all of Deuteronomy, which is love. Yes. And uh, recommit the relationship, right? right? It's the redefining the right. relationship terms right. again. But like God could have, like we know, spoilers for the Bible, I guess, we know that at no point does God walk away. Right. God could have. And like not, and would have been justified in it, right? Yeah. Like I have certainly in my life, broken off relationships with people. Um, I mentioned a few in the piece you just read. Like, I am no longer friends with those nightmare humans that, like, made my... Or that, you know, that really happened that, like, when I was... We had gone to college and uh, was back for the summer. And that friend, I mentioned the piece, right? Like, we're, like, hanging out at, like, a beach house in Galveston or something. Um, And he's like, yeah... You know that I'm not. Anyway, I'll do a generic stoner voice. Man, you knew like all that messed up stuff that like happened. Yeah, I did that on purpose because like I was mad at you for taking this girl. And again, this is right at the caveat. This is not how human women work. I think I knew that then. I definitely know that now. Um, <laughs> I didn't take anything from anybody. That young woman made a choice for herself. Right. I just want to say this. It was not how they, you know, anyways. So he was, you know, he spent, like, most of our high school years getting revenge on me. And, like, while pretending to be my friend. I'm not friends with that dude anymore. Weird, I know, right? Um, but God's still friends with me. And that's why, like. So and that, God's still friends with him. And still friends with him, right? Yes. That is the, like, never forget how optional loving us is for God. Right. It is merely, because there's no, this is going to sound obvious, but go with me, right? No one can make God do anything. <laughs> right? Including love you. Including love you. Right? Including no, love me. Right. There is no force external to God. Right. There's no f- external force to God that can require anything of God other than mm-hmm. what God requires of God's self. And what right. God has decided in God's infinite love um, 
is that loving you, me, us, that dude that messed me over for multiple years and made my high school years far harder than they needed to be, God's just going to love you. Um, and that is a choice that God made, right? And so just like we are free to choose God or not God, God was free to choose us or not. And thanks be to God, God chose us. And thus, Amen to that. Right, and then, and then just over and over and over again has found new and interesting ways to demonstrate that love, even so far as putting God's son on a cross to die for us, right? As a demonstration of love. Yes. Does it make it easier for you when you think of God's love in that light, um, remembering that God didn't have to choose to love me, um, I feel like that sometimes helps me to love others. We were talking about yeah. keeping, you know, that relationship and community, how we love ourselves, how we love one another should be a reflection of this love that God has given to us that is undeserved. Um, we have those people in our lives that are you know, we, we would call them EGRs, those extra grace required yeah, yeah, yeah. people in our lives. Um, you know, it, it's those people that are harder to love for us because we are human. Um, the, but we the can people choose that, to that, love them anyways. That, that, yeah, that falls under the, the bumper sticker, God loves, God loves you, everyone else thinks you're a bleep. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> One of my favorite bumper stickers because it's true, right? <laughs> God loves you, but everyone else. I, everyone else doesn't maybe think so. Yeah, I think that's important. Right. The like Mm -hmm. um, and this is where the like love your enemies piece comes, because Mm -hmm. I guess we've talked about that recently. But like, yes, you know, God loves God loves God's enemies. Thank God for that, because that was you. That was me. That was us. Right. Like, you know, we when we try to go our own way, we make ourselves an enemy of God. And Mm -hmm. and yet God said, I love you. Um, I you know, I, I often find this scripture around like what it's helped me see about myself, right? Um, that, you know, the depression is real, friends. Um, and and so I often, you know, even still, like, get in that place of, like, you know, feeling wildly unlovable. Um, and this, you know, recognition that God does is transformational. But, I, yeah, I think that is, or certainly God wants us to make that next leap, right? It's certainly how, what Christ demonstrates in his own life right? Like, he, Christ, experienced a ton of rejection even prior to going to the cross, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the even even if you just look at the, like, last couple days before it happens, right? Like, yes. sold out by a friend, um, the crowd gets into the idea of, the crowd that had cheered him gets into the idea of killing him, um, yep. Even before he's dead, most of his friends have run off in fear, and yet he goes anyways, right? This is the other piece. Christ chose it anyways. Chose it anyways. This is the other piece that will come up over and over again with me. Remember that as Christ is dying on the cross, he can snap his fingers and get out of there in a minute Mm -hmm. if he wanted to, right? Like, And yet chose to stay on that cross because of love. Chose to get arrested. Even, you know, even as he sees that, like, and this is Christ, so he knows this is going to happen, right? Like, he's sitting around, you know, we get a little bit of it, or get a fair amount of it in John's gospel, but, like, 
what must have been going through his mind? Right? <laughs> you, you start to understand why he has to pray real hard um, yep. in the garden because he, he knows what's about to happen. And not just the like, I, I often focus on, because it's you know, important to think about the physical suffering that he's about to endure, but also the like number of people that are about to sell him out. And betray him. And betray Absolutely. him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And these are the it's people that's... he came to save. Exactly. Exactly. And he loved them still. And yeah. it's that sappy old song that it wasn't nails that held him here, there. It was, yeah. you know, God's love for me or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we just need to find ways to say it not in, like, we need to find Not ways. in cheesy country, whatever. Cheesy country ways. songs were terrifying. <laughs> or, or terrifi- like, we need to, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then we need to remember that love. That if we claim to be Christ-like, that if we are going to take on the name of Christ as Christians, that we need to demonstrate that love too. That we need to be willing to um, love the people who have betrayed us. That doesn't necessarily mean, you know, don't put up borders and boundaries to stay safe, right? Right. You don't have to be friends with your nightmare friend anymore to continue to be hurt by that person. But that you can recognize that that person is in need of God's love and grace and that you can give grace and love in those situations yeah, where you do have those interactions. We cannot let forgiveness mean to mean go back to your abuser. Right. Forgive does not mean forget. No. Forgive and forget is not in the Talk about things that are not in right. scripture. <laughs> yeah. That's not in there, folks. Yeah, that's the thing we tell people <laughs> to make them go back to their abuser, right? Like that is... Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, do, yeah um, don't, don't do that. Um, maybe don't do that. But forgiveness should be a part of our equation right forgiveness should be a part of this grace that we extend to others because it has been extended to us well and to recognize that like and this is hard right but to like recognize that innate value in the people you just you dislike that hurt you right Mm -hmm. like this is we live in this really polarized moment um and like such hard battle lines are drawn in so many sectors of our society. And that's a fundamentally unchristian perspective um, because a lot of, you know, a lot of Paul's work is going around to these like really diverse places and saying everyone belongs, right? You know, mm-hmm. finally, you know, hey, three, this is like three, we're only four episodes in. This is the third mention Another of Philemon. Philemon yes. reference. There you yes. go. But like, you know, <laughs> Philemon and Onesimus um, belong, right? Onesimus, uh, I've been reading, doing some prep work for a, a, a Journeys of Paul thing I'm doing. This is part of why he's on the brain. It's just, I am doing some prep work. I'm, I'm going to go to Greece and Turkey and like, you follow the journey of Paul in a couple of months. Now, a month and a half. This is a month and a half away. I need to keep telling myself this. Um, but, like, you know, Onesimus is probably, like, European. He's probably Slavic um, from what we can tell. So Onesimus just means, like, handy. It's not his name. It is um, slaves in the in the Greco-Roman world were just renamed by their masters. This is really healthy, right? Because their names Great. are unpronounceable, right? We've never done that. Oh, wait. <sighs> oh, um, wait, we did. We did. And then we kept doing it. Um, this is, you know, you know, a lot of people who should be mixed something had the mix dropped. And we even, like, we even did it to my, my ancestors, a hundred years, whatever. It's bad. Anyways, we just keep doing it. Um, mm-hmm. But so that name just means like handy. 
Um, and so he was not, his mother didn't name him Handy, right? His Slavic mother didn't name him Handy. Um, and so, like, here is a, a, you know, a Slavic enslaved person, which, by the way, is just the root of slave. It's Slavic because a lot of Roman, anyways. Um, yep. So, and Philemon, who is, you know, a, a, a Roman paterfamilias, right? A father of the family who had life and death control over all in his purview. Um, and Paul makes this, like, beautiful argument to say, you're one community, Right. Um, when he's really, when Paul's really mad at the Galatians, he yells at them. Galatians should always be read while shouting. Um, <laughs> a, any nice reading of Galatians misses the point of Galatians, right? Because like, in Christ, there is neither male nor female, slave no, no. nor free. And this was Christ, an all caps email. Yeah, yeah, this is an all caps email. It this is, yeah, is an yes. all caps shouting email yeah. to the Galatians. Yeah. There is neither slave nor free. Right. This Greek is like Jew, male nor female. Get over it, people. <laughs> right. In the same way that sometimes Jesus tells jokes, Paul sometimes yells. Yes. Um, and and this is to frame this kind of boundary crossing love that like because nothing get in the way of God's love for you. Also, nothing get in the way of God's love for anybody else. Yes. And that means everyone is a beloved child of God, even if like they have made life choices that you fundamentally disagree with, even if they've made life choices that you believe to be fundamentally harmful to society. And I'll let y'all fill in the blanks of whatever life choices you have decided are fundamentally harmful for society. I guarantee you the other 50% of the population feels exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, God loves all of us. Right? In God's love, there isn't an us and a them. Right? There's only us. Right? There's right. only there there's only one category of person, a person who is loved by God. Yes. Beware ye the us and them language whenever you hear us versus them. Right. Because like, there is just the one. There is just we. Right. There's only ever been we. I mean that's like that's our the us and them is our second is humanity's second sin. Right? Um, if, if the original sin is deciding that we should have powers that God has claimed for God's self, right? You know, um, the first sin is the claiming of the knowledge of good and evil. That is, back to Sandra Richter. Um, Sandra Richter in Epic of Eden frames this as, like, the right to decide what good and bad is, which is fundamentally mm-hmm. God's role. Like, God's fundamental role in the universe is decide what is good and what is bad, based mm-hmm. on the nature of God. The nature of God is good, and so God gets to define what good and evil are, right? And so Adam and Eve, um, uh, Eve picks the apple and, apples, and Adam's an idiot, um, are claiming for themselves a role that God should have, right? So that's the original sin. Yes. Yeah. The second sin is Cain and, Eve, Cain and Abel. Um, that I don't like this person, I'm going to kill him, yeah. right? It is that, like... You know, that fractiousness, that uh, that desire to define an us and a them mm-hmm. is literally our second sin. You could uh, even back that up to Adam's 
pointing at Eve and saying, they made me do it. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. a literal oh, us and them. Ooh, well played. That one yeah. made me do it. Yes. So that's, you know, it's just even a little bit earlier in scripture. In responding to. to our first sin, we immediately committed we our immediately second. We immediately committed the second of yeah. saying, well, know, and that, they yeah, made me do it. They made me do it, right? <laughs> this white, it's even worse than that. It's this woman you gave me, right? Like, Right. <laughs> that's your me. fault, God. You, your, you gave that woman to me. It's you just, gave that yeah. woman who is not of me, that is different from me. That right. Even not, though they are of one flesh, right? One, They're still supposed supposed to be well, of and one like, flesh. He ate the stupid apple. It's not an apple. It's a fruit. He it's ate the fruit. stupid it's fruit. It's a whatever. Yeah. Right, like, you know, Adam, I think, obviously I think Eve gets a bad rap here. Um, uh, historically. But Adam, <laughs> like, dude is standing there. Right? It's yeah. not like, this is not, you know, this is not like some Greek, there's a Greek myth and I'm going to get it wrong. No, this is Tantalus, right? So the myth of Tantalus is that, like, Tantalus is mad at the gods and so Tantalus like kills his children and feeds them the gods and the gods are like oh my god this is delicious and he's like psych it's my kids right like this is not the story of Adam and Eve right, right. Adam is standing right there there's no wool over Adam's right. eyes in this they are equally right sinful and, together. and like <laughs> the snake isn't a trickster either right like Eve just makes right. this choice right like yep. the, the snake is not like you don't know what tree it is. Ha, ha, ha. No, they, everybody knows. Right? Everybody knew. And everybody, they chose it anyways. And they chose it anyways. And so. And ta- God knew all of this junk and yeah. chose us anyway. And chose us anyways. <laughs> chose right? us like, anyways. God, right? like, you know. Yeah. But, like, yeah, we commit our first sin and then immediately commit our second sin. Yep. And, like, I, I you know, I come back often. Uh, you know, I probably preach in the scripture once a year. Um this time it just kind of came up organically um, in the lectionary, the set texts um, to pull from. But like, it is this, you know, God, you know, this is the predestined language too, right? God chose mm-hmm. us, right? Yeah. And we, we, we fall down a predestined language is real. We've talked about it before, right? Like it's really right. itchy because then we go off in this like, yeah, some people just are in and some people are just are out. And I'm like, that <laughs> really contradicts the back half of this text, right? Yep. That like nothing stops God from loving you. That does not. That it seems to imply that God does not have a list of winners and cosmic winners and cosmic losers. That is just to say right. that like God's destiny, God's choice for all of us is to be loved. Now we get to choose that love or not. Um, but like God chose us, and those that God chose, if they want it, they're going to have that relationship. Um, And nothing is going to get in the way of that, including through the, you know, the gift that is Christ's death and resurrection, our own screwed up choices. Right. Like there's a way of looking at the resurrection that is this just ultimate statement of love. Right. You're going to think that this universe is stacked against you because you can't get it right. You're right. You can't get it right. It's okay. I love you this much. Mm-hmm. That this is what I'm going to do for you. Um, and that, that's, that's as good a place as to, we, I, I could, we can talk. It turns out we call this <laughs> podcast the goodness of God. This is, you know, the fundamental goodness of God. And so we can talk about this all day. But we're going to uh, take a break. And, and when we come back, we're going we're gonna to report back on a field trip um, uh, 
We, uh, we went on a trip to Dallas and saw some Dallas, Fort Worth, the DFW, if you will. Uh, we went to the DFW and, and, and saw some really interesting things. And so we're going to uh, report back to that in a second. Um, but first, there's going to be a little bit of music. Um, and I'm going to try to become mildly less sweaty uh, before we come back. <laughs> And we're back uh, for a segment of the show uh, that we call How to Restart a Church, uh, which essentially is, uh, you know, as we are on this journey, you know, we are um, doing our best to restart a church, um, to to rebuild a church from a, a real tough position and, and trying to, to share what we're learning and sharing share what we're thinking about along the way. Um, and hopefully soon, we're, I'm working on lining up some guests, but we're hopefully soon going to have some guests on to talk about these things. But I want to get to report back on a field trip. So um, last Tuesday, actually immediately after we recorded this show, um, Emily and I uh, hopped in our respective vehicles and met um, halfway between us, which is Dallas, Texas, um, and got a chance to go to worship um, at kind of one of the most, you know, unique and interesting um, United Methodist churches I've ever seen. It, it is a, it's a working coffee shop uh, called Union uh, Coffee. Um, it is in kind of, the, you know, the middle of a, you know, kind of urban, you know, middle class area of Dallas. Um, they are a fully functioning coffee shop. The coffee is good. Um, the t-shirts are cool. Um, the space is inviting um, as a a coffee shop aficionado, I think, is a reasonable uh, description of me. I, every town we go to. <laughs> putting, I it co- putting it lightly. Putting it lightly. Aficionado would be putting it lightly. You have a coffee addiction. I have a coffee Drake. addiction. And it was specifically an addiction to cool coffee shops, right? Yes. It is much about the coffee as it is the shop. Um, and it's just this wonderful, inviting coffee shop that is also a church. Right. It is not like a church has like a little carved off corner. That's its coffee shop. This coffee shop is a standalone church that, you know, donates to like immigrant, uh, you know, resettlement that does community events. They're really focused on the LGBTQ community um, in Dallas. They do like deliberately inclusive events um, and they do a worship service at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday evening in the coffee shop where just like there's a, you know, cool band and they all just like line up and, you know, on one wall of the coffee shop. And then we're all just sitting on couches and cafe tables and, you know, what have you. And then like, you know, there's some singing and there's some, you know, preaching and there's some discussions and there's some breathing exercises and uh, we took communion and and it was all this like but it was right in the middle of what you know for all the other hours of the week is a working coffee shop with a message that says we are about building community and a worship service is one of the aspects of them building a community but their mission as a church that is also a coffee shop is about building this community and i love that it wasn't a coffee shop and then a worship service. They didn't rearrange the furniture to set up a stage or to put out the cross and stained glass. It was just, you know, okay, this is a coffee shop right now. Hey, in a few minutes, folks, they had someone going around saying, hey, in a couple minutes, we're going to have a worship service um, right here. You can stay or 
or not, uh, but you're welcome. It's, you know, right there where you're sitting is where you can be for our worship service. That's going to start, you know, right now on a random Tuesday night. Yeah. Um, and the coffee shop hours overlapped with the worship service um, intentionally. Yeah. And I loved that. And so, the, like, you could stumble upon, oh, hey, this is interesting. I'll check it out. Or you could be like, there's a, there's, I, I realize I never went up there, but there's a space um, upstairs um, with also some seating. And so, like, if you just mm-hmm. wanted to, like, hang out and drink your coffee and not here for the worship service, yeah, 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 that's cool, too. That's, like, it is this, like, um, they use the phrase, like, a lower threshold, right? Yes. That, like, sometimes, you know, and this is, this plays a lot into how we rethink. That's why we went there, right? Because we want to learn from them. Because, like, they're, they're real, you know, those kinds of things, those kinds of churches this kind of church ideas are real inspiration, real inspiration for me. But like, um, for sometimes like going into a church is like a really high threshold, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know that that's a space for you, or you've been told um, that it's not a space for you, right? I mean, this is their right. their work. With the LGBTQ community is like, yeah, <laughs> no, I get it. No, I get why you think that. Like, hoy, ah, uh, oh, jeez, yep, uh huh, we did that. Um, We've talked a lot about that God-shaped box on yeah. this podcast and why some people are just not going to be comfortable walking into that space um, because they have been told that that's not a space for them. And so walking into a coffee shop, less of a commitment. <laughs> less of a commitment. And then, like, you see a worship service happening and maybe you check it out or maybe you don't. But, like, because when we, we, got the, we got the real experience so that, like, um, we had been meeting the pastor's uh, lady named Katie Newsom, and she's awesome. And so, like, we had hung out with her in the afternoon, and, like, she was like, extremely helpful. Um, but, like, the, the rest of the, her crew didn't know who we were, right? And so we're just, like, sitting at the same table that then clearly becomes the sound booth. Um, and, like, uh, one of the sound techs just came home and was like, hey, just so you know, you all are welcome to stay. Just be a worship service. Just want you give a heads up. And, like, like so we got the, like, we got the like the real visitor experience, right? Like, yes, they like, didn't. We know. are here for this, but they hadn't. They, they didn't. They didn't know. <laughs> um, and so it was just this like really again. It is not, and therefore you need to leave if you're not going to worship with us. Right. It was just like, hey, this thing is going to be happening. You can hang out. We're st- whatever. Like it's cool. Like there's our, you know, incredibly welcoming and incredibly organic. Incredibly yeah. organic. Just very, just authentic. Like, just well, a, we want you here. If you want to be here, come be a part of what we're doing. You know, make yourself comfortable. And the other, the, see, the worship service itself was also like really different. We spent more time talking to each other with like shaped discussion questions mm-hmm. um, than 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 I think than Katie did talking, right? Yes. Then, and and that was like you know I. As a, as a person who runs worship services quite literally for a living, I, uh, in two days I will have been a pastor for 10 years. Um, my, my, my anniversary is August. Th- I landed, today is the day in 2013, I landed back from Paraguay. Um, and then I was at my church two days later. Um, and so uh, this is, tomorrow will mark the anniversary of going to a department store and buying human clothes. Um, because I was a missionary and a grad student, so owned no human clothes. Um, <laughs> I, I bought human clothes and a watch. Um, bought a fossil watch. Uh, this is a very big deal um, at the time. 
I was very broke. Um, and then uh, uh, the, the 3rd of August is the first day I showed up um, to the church um, to meet with the leaders. Anyways, um, I, 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 I do, I, I'm constantly thinking about what am I going to say in worship. And this was, I think this is part of that inclusive piece of like, this is a low threshold and also a lighter touch in shaping what you believe, right? There is a thesis statement and we are doing discipleship, which is to say, you know, shaping what we believe, you know, towards something that looks like God's kingdom, right? Like that is happening, but it is, it was like, it was not so much a show up and listen to the expert tell you how to think. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was not, this is the theology you have to believe and I get to tell you what that is because I am the expert pastor. It was truly community discussion. It was truly um, listening to the Holy Spirit and having holy conversation with one another in the community of God. It was really refreshing. It was really, really wonderful. And and, um, and 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 I, I guess we got to be fair to our Quaker friends. The Quakers have been doing this for hundreds of years. Yeah, right. Like, I, it's a good model for good worship. Model. I, I, I do, do want to, you know, uh, shout outs to Quakers. Um, you know, they're, they're more than just a dude that sells you oats, right? Like, they are a <laughs> they are a, a religious movement that it, you know the friends have been around, have been around, are still around. Like, I, you know, yeah. that that no one planning what they're going to say at church and then being shaped by the wisdom that shows up in the room is an extremely old concept that, but that we keep having to rediscover. And yes. I think Union rediscovered it in a way that, like, I'm going to be honest, like, I've been to a Quaker service and, like. I I am too ADHD and <laughs> to just hope something happens. Like I like that for those who connect, it is a beautiful expression of the Holy Spirit. I just I can't. And that's a failure on me, not on that manner of worship, but I can't do it. And so union was a nice gap, was a nice like splitting the difference between the just kind of one to many communication. And just sitting around and waiting for someone to say something. Um, yes. Because there was just like, you know, Pastor Katie just like shaped like a discussion and then handed us discussion questions. And then we reflected as a group. We did yes. it in small groups and then reflected as a whole group. And actually out of that came like real holy wisdom, right? Like you could yes. really feel. Um, and like I, who didn't know anyone but you and Katie prior to entering this, like I was felt comfortable to share like something relatively personal about my own family life. Cause we were like, it was framed around uh, um, the Lin-Manuel Miranda play um, in, in the, the Heights. Heights. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of like the American dream and the meaning of family. And so like I talked about like my own family experience and like got some real cool, like connect. Anyways, it was, it was yeah. like, it was like a very different way of doing church that still felt really sacred. Very sacred. And they have this great, you know, because they shaped the conversation around this secular, you know, the musical in the Heights, um, it was so relatable. But finding the sacred in the secular is also one of their core taglines is, you know, um, using, yes, okay, they're, 
are very worshipful songs, but they were not necessarily worship songs no. played. Um, not something that you would hear on your Christian radio station, something that you would hear on the radio, though. Um, so relatable for those who don't speak church, right. right? Who don't know that lingo. People who need to enter into the sacred at that lower threshold. Um, but still incredibly holy, still incredibly worshipful. Um, communion was extremely uh, meaningful and yeah. refreshing and wonderful. You know, we all celebrated communion together if that was something that you chose to participate in. Um, beautiful worship service, incredibly sacred. Uh, but this blending of the sacred and the secular into this very holy time yeah, but, of worship together. But the truth is, like, the, the more, I guess this has been coming up a lot of my studies lately, but, like, that's always been true. Like the idea of covenant is a secular legal structure for the ancient world. Mm-hmm. And then God uses that as a way to talk about the relationship with the people. Like God, yes. like like the covenant with Abraham was not the original covenant, right? Like covenants was just the legal structure of the day. Um, you know, I, when Paul uses like <clears throat> Roman argumentation, right? This is yes. just the structure of the day. When John pulls in images from Platonism, it's not that like John is giving into Platonism. God, John is using Platonism as a bridge. You know, Charles Wesley jumped way forward in time um, yes. to to the you know kind of Methodist songwriter par excellence. He's <laughs> using bar tunes, right? Yep. Also, the, the Star Singled Banner is also a bar tune. Um, so is God Save the Queen. Like you know, it's just like, yes. they were using like we draw like this really hard line between this is Christian music and this is secular music. And then we get really skeptical of like breakthrough artists like Lauren Daigle or a uh, switchfoot right. um, because they're getting in or um, oh, there's another one. I, uh, uh, I need to breathe. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, we get really skeptical. Oh, they're they're going secular and because I'm like, they've gone secular, but that doesn't make them less holy. That is, that <laughs> like is, that doesn't make their lyrics less holy, right? right? Like, it, like if we take seriously that, like our ability to create is part of how we were made in the image of God. Right. I, anyways, um, but no, like it, it really, like it. I I think what I, I appreciate the most about union and our time there is they came into their work with way fewer assumptions about what a church has to be. Yes. Has to be. Or mm-hmm. what a worship service has to be. Right. right? And Or what sort of programs you right. have to have, right? Right. And so they have, like, open mic nights. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's a big thing. And they do, like art shows and that's a big thing and 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 mm-hmm. so no there's not a sewing circle although if enough people wanted a sewing circle they would do it right like because <laughs> they're just responding to what then you know what the respond if you like part of it is responding to who their community is right caring about what their community cares about caring right. then, about what it is that you care about yeah. and caring about you regardless of whether or not you ever join the church that's not the goal, right? The goal is not, hey, we need you to sign up on our membership roles. It's we're here to love you. We're here to care for our community right. in whatever and, way that manifests itself. And so then and then you have like multiple onboarding points of what interacting with this community, this sacred community 
means yes. to you? Is it just like sitting in a chill coffee shop space and drinking coffee? That is, I will tell you, uh, as someone who a drank a fair, I went back the next day and had more. Um, <laughs> and so highly. If you're caffeine- a non-coffee drinker, lavender lemonade. Yeah, they have, absolutely yeah, amazing, right? Yeah, they have non-coffee like, things too. But like, it's a good coffee. It's just a good coffee shop, right? Like, set it the, is. Set great the church menu. aside for a second. It's just a great coffee shop, right? They really really understands what makes a good shop. And actually part of what makes a good shop is the space you want to be in. That turns mm-hmm. out the Holy Spirit can be really good at helping create that. Um, so <laughs> if that's all you want, cool, cool, cool. Um, if you're looking for like community positive events in a, in a group that says, hey, we love this community, we want to be a part of it, and you go to those community events, cool, 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 cool. Are you looking for something that looks more discipleshipy? Cool, you can sign, there can be, a, there's an accountability partner system and a worship service and, 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 yes. right? But, like, you pick, and they've got a podcast, uh, The Agenda, uh, that just launched. Um, and so, like, you've got all these options. Um, but you totally decide where you are on that. And no mm-hmm. one's going to look at you and say, hey, this is what you should be doing. Right. Hey, that's great, but we need more from you. Right. right. They don't expect more from you than what you are able and willing to give. Yeah. And that actually transitions great to the other thing I did on our field trip. Um, and so I, I stayed an extra day in Dallas. This was an evening service. And like we, the service didn't end until like 930. And then we hung out with them later. And so I didn't get done until like 11. <laughs> 11 p.m. 11 p.m. It's a very long drive it was back. The, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I stayed over um, in Dallas. And the next day I went to the Taste Project. Um, and the Taste Project is um, – what if a soup kitchen met a high-end cafe um, and they fell in love and decided to be one together, right? And so it is, you walk in, um, it looks like a modern hipster cafe. You've got, you know, whatever, orange Ikea tables. Um, <laughs> you've got, uh, you know, a high-end looking kitchen that's visible. You know, it's all concrete and brick, very, you know, big windows. Um, the host, you know, or hostess, like, you know, steers you to a seat. And then you get a menu, and that menu looks like a hipster cafe menu. I had a breakfast uh, sausage and egg breakfast sandwich with some sort of peach sauce and also garlic aioli. And they didn't say mayonnaise. They said aioli. And that's how you know this is a hipster cafe. <laughs> um, and, and, and a side of fresh fruit. that and, and the food was delicious, right? Like it tasted like a $10 breakfast sandwich. The fruit was fresh and also ripe. It was great. Um, and also, I was sitting next to four people who, were, who are unsheltered. Um, because the other thing about, uh, uh, the taste project is this is the soup kitchen part of it. Um, there are no prices on the menu because nothing costs you anything. You, everyone gets a bill at the end and you get to fill in what you're going to pay and they will take anything from nothing to everything. Right. Um, so it's a pay what you want, pay what you can cafe. And the crowd that it attracted was wild. Right. And so like, you know, probably 40 percent, 50 percent of the people in there were unsheltered. Um, and like if you just show up by yourself, you could just put it at the table of everyone else that showed up by themselves. It's like me, a nurse and then four folks who are unsheltered. Um, there was some like, um, you know, older folks clearly on a fixed income. Um, there was like a church group of sixth graders. There was like just normal looking cafe patrons um, and everyone's in this space and everyone orders out the same menu. 
and then everyone pays what they want. And so it is this like, like soup kitchens are good because they feed people, right? And but this was like a soup kitchen with an added level of inclusivity and dignity, right? That is just like this is a cafe for everyone where everyone just pays what they want. But like also, you want risotto? That's on the lunch menu. Don't even worry about it. You want steak and eggs? Don't worry. That's on the breakfast menu, and you can just order it um, and pay what you want, right? And what they're counting on is they ha- they have donors, they have volunteers. It's a fully nonprofit thing, so that lowers some of their costs. And then also some folks like me are going to pay more than the value of the food they just ate um, because of that experience. It was That's beautiful. No, it was. Like, it, it, to me, like, this trip, I planned it this way, but, like, it fits in with also Union, right? Like, this is another, like, you know, real bog standard charity, which is good, like, you know, in the way that churches are good. Um but this is thinking about it from a way of fewer assumptions, right? Yes. How do you feed people who really need food? Well, what if we did something that just feeds everybody, right? Yes. Where everyone gets equal dignity in the experience. Because it's um, not a separate menu for unsheltered friends versus the people who can pay. It's just everybody gets to order what they want. That's, that's dignity. That's choice. That's wonderful. That's yeah. True inclusivity. Right. And like, again, there's two, like, obviously I did them back to, you know, 12 hours apart, right? And so like, that's part of why they're associated in my mind. But it is that like, you know, I've done a lot of, we've done a lot of like, go and serve food to the unsheltered, right? And that's good. Like, I don't, I don't want to like, it is not like one is bad and one is good. This is just, I really appreciated the Taste Project's like, different model of doing it that goes at it from not well this is how it's always been done and so this is how we do it and taking this approach that says let's feed everybody but let's do so in a way we're just like the food's really good and then at the end you decide what you're gonna pay um and it also for me as like a community obsessed theologian looking at the crowd <laughs> that formed around it Right. Mm -hmm. Like it was just there on a a random Wednesday morning, Um, got there, I guess, just just as the breakfast menu ended. Um, And so I got to see the transition from breakfast into lunch. Um, And so like, again, like it was that church group of sixth grader, like middle class sixth graders. There were like high school students that needed volunteer hours who were like the wait staff and some of them in the kitchen. Um, There was a few professional staff to keep it all running. So in the end, it is (laughs) a cafe. Um, And then there were like. You know, folks who had slept in the street. Um, there were folks with real limited income. And then there were, like, middle-class fo- folks like me who just like tasty food. And we're all just, like, eating together and, like, sitting together. Um, and I had to check myself of, like, oh, right. Oh, this is, this is fascinating. And so I'm just, like, realizing that, like, oh, right. No, of course there shouldn't be a, like, we're not going to sit this dude with the homeless. Like, no, right? Of course we should all sit together. But, like, I I don't know. I found it. um, Like, maybe the kingdom of God should look a little bit more like this, right? Like, maybe we should reimagine what the kingdom of God should be in our brains to, you know, what it actually is, which is everybody sitting at the same table together. Well, not, like, when I was living in Los Angeles, very briefly, um, I, I went to Venice Beach United Methodist Church and on the United Methodist ordination paperwork, ordination commissioning, it's some paperwork I had to write for the UMC. 
as I was trying to become a pastor all those many years ago. Um, one of the questions is like, what is your vision of the kingdom of God, right? Or something like that. And I described, at that time, I described Venice Beach UMC. Um, so uh, the pastor was a, a young black guy with cool earrings and both ears. Um, and he was older than me, but I was like, I was 22. So he was older than me, but not like vastly older than me. Um, the church was clearly run by two gay guys. Um, the, like the, the power behind the throne, the, the lead volunteers were clearly two gay guys. Um, the band were all skate punks because the church had its own, uh, skate park. Um, they had turned their parking lot into a skate park. And so the skate punks, uh, were the band. Um, and then the congregation was like, I'm going to get these numbers wrong because this was a long time ago now, but like, like 40% unsheltered people. Um, and then we all just like worshiped together. And at the end of worship, everyone held hands and embraced and sang. Um, even I did. And I'm not a toucher. Um, but I even I went with the movement of the spirit. Um, and then everyone just like hung, handed out sandwiches and everyone ate. Right. And so like clearly this was in parts that the unsheltered folks could have some food. But also it was just everyone got a meal. Right. And so like the taste, the t- all of these things like fit in, like are in that similar vein of in the similar vein of what we talked about with, you know, Paul's ministry at the top of this, it is like, Hey, what if the kingdom of God looked like just like everyone together without those distinctions that we normally, like we're the ones who make the distinctions. God doesn't make those distinctions. Right. God just loves. Um, and so what if we created communities that just loved and, you know, on our field trip, we got to see at least a couple of those. Um, that's as good a place as any, we've been talking a lot and I am, dissolving into a puddle um uh you know those of you on the video version are discovering i'm an unattractive sweater um it's just not gonna get better friends it's it's just a million degrees in houston yeah it's a hundred and the the uh heat index is 109 today um and in our ancient broken facility um uh so as you watch me sweat you can understand why we call that segment how to restart a church um anyways uh if you have feedback for the show i so uh, podcast at servantsnow.org doesn't work. Um, uh, so uh, next week there will be a new email address. Um, I don't, we've lost the ability to go in and create new email addresses. <laughs> I, I, it's, uh, it's, the struggle is real. Um, and so uh, right now, if you want to leave feedback for the show, uh, post a comment. This shows up on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash servantsnow. This shows up on our YouTube page, uh, youtube.com slash servantsnow, and shows up on under the Media Lab tab of our website, uh, uh, servantsnow.org slash media dash lab. Um, leave your feedback there. Um, we would love to uh, read and, and, and you know talk about it and on the respond. show. And respond. respond to it um this show and everything else we do digitally is a product of the servants now media lab at servants of christ united methodist parish and is brought to you by a generous grant uh by the an innovators grant by the texas annual conference of united methodist church and is at least produced um here uh in the heart of southeast houston although we of course have someone uh, zooming in from (laughs) amarillo from amarillo Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah if you want to uh, find out more about the things we do, just go to our website, servantsnow.org. Just about everything we do ends up there in some fashion or another. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.